I'm on a mission to put into every attorney's mind is that we all are creative beings and we just don't trust our creativity. And uh, I wish I had started before trusting mine. And I really hope now that I do, uh, that I can also contribute to this shift of mind in, in the legal professional. Welcome to the Legal Creatives Podcast. Today, I have a really special guest who is gonna talk about how legal design is helping in the digital transformation, making strategic decisions, but also enhancing the marketing of law firms and the branding of legal department. Her name is Laura Fokker. She is based in Spain and she is on a mission to put creativity and people at the heart of the digital revolution in the legal industry. She's currently an innovation, design thinking and marketing consultant and facilitator. She's passionate about justice and people, legal tech, legal and service design, as well as international legal marketing and business development. She received two awards last year, the European Woman in Legal Tech Award by Evolved, as well as the European Women in Tech Legal Tech category by the DIT. She's a former court interpreter and she is with us on the podcast to share her real life insights throughout her journey in legal design. Welcome, Nora, to the show. Thank you. I even sound nice with your presentation. <laughs> so excited to have you on the show. Today, we want to talk about your real story and we want to learn about your real life insights. And so to get things started, let me ask you, is there a myth around legal design that you would like to take this opportunity to demystify for the audience? There is. There is um, at least one, I think, which is uh, when people think, well, many people don't even think about legal design. Yes, this but is true. And maybe we want to say, what is legal design? What is legal design to you, Laura? We all disagree on that. Every time I talk about legal design with other practitioners, we just all disagree. Um, for me, legal design, um, it's the use of design thinking in the legal industry at large. But then within all the different uses, we I hope we can talk about that later on, all the different uses of design thinking in the legal industry, some are just not only for legal industries, some are just uh, design thinking applied to any kind of industry. And then we have the very specific um, law related design, which is the design of legal texts, legal documents. So this probably is what is very and only specific to, to the legal industry and the rest of it can be applied to all other industries, I would say. That's really nice to hear. So it's for you, it's really about design thinking in the legal sector, but it could be applied in other industries and it already is applied. And so what's the bigger myth for you around legal design? Um, for me, I would say the confusion between legal design and visual design. The myth is legal design is just take a text, keep it just as long and complicated as always in the legal industry and put a color and put a drawing just next to it and keep it like that and it will be legal design and it's obviously not the case. According to you, to your experience, and maybe you have a specific example you can share, 
so we can get to understand better if legal design is not just using you know different fonts icons colors and structure then what is legal design for you okay so uh, as regards the text which is what we were talking about as regards the text it's obviously the visual aspect is important but uh, i would say it's as important or even more the simplification the understandability of the of the text and the usability of this text all this is part of legal design how you structure your text topic related think about about uh, the reader of your text and where the eyes goes and uh, how easy or not easy it is to understand what is said and the repetitions and uh, putting all the similar topics together and um, having a chronological order, for example, and all these kind of elements for a text. Um, as regard design thinking at large, which is uh, it's a methodology of uh, creative methodology of problem solving. So this we can apply to the business of law. I would say we can use the design thinking for, yes, for the text, but also for the business of law and the systems, the legal systems and legal institutions. Uh, for example, here in Spain, I, I've been working with a group. Uh, we're trying to help to train in uh, design thinking judges and, uh, and uh, public attorneys so that they can use it in the work because they're overworked, overloaded courts. And now with uh, the complicated times with the COVID, um, they have even more work and how, for example, design thinking can help you simplify uh, your processes. Um, so uh, you have like a lot of different applications for institutions and for firms too. And this is what I am really interested in. And this is what I am usually working on actually in my day-to-day -day work. Wow, this sounds so interesting working on the transformation of the court system using design thinking can you tell a little bit more about how does this look like what happens how do you do this with judges do you do a workshop is it online or can you we want to know give us a sneak peek <laughs> of how it works yes well it was online unfortunately i i, I would have rather have it have had it in in person but it was not possible so we've done it online for now so um trying to um to to see and to point out the moments both for the justice users and justice professionals uh for example the administrative uh workers within courts uh, to see how they can have make their processes more efficient. For example, you don't. They usually they start saying, "Oh, we don't have a big budget for to automatize or to uh, to invest in technology." But just before technology, there are many things you can do uh, in order to make uh, work easier for them and more accessible to the to the people. For example, making um, for a court making um, a journey. Uh, making a court journey for a person having any any anything to do with this court, how it goes, how this person is being um, um, served and and attended, and uh, how long it takes for them to process all the all the lawsuits, for example, all these processes. And there are many things that are repetitive, many things they that can be done more quickly or 
uh, more templates that can be used. There are many, many things. Uh, the first step is to uh, focus on some pain points and then we just take them and see how can we solve that. And many times it's a matter of stop and think about this mm -hmm. and ask your users and that's it. You don't need, obviously, ideally, then you can put some tech on it and then really automatize. But even uh, this is a prior step and many times it's even enough in order to improve already. Yeah, so, so working on the systems, the processes, instead of automation, and technology. So really trying to understand uh, what's the journey, what are the pain points on this journey and how you can improve using what simple, simple solution then, but, but creative ones. And I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure that it must be a challenging thing to do, uh, especially, you know, like working with judges, we would imagine that they have so many habits as to how to do their work and the you know, the administrative staff as well. I'm pretty sure there are some challenging times. Can you share a little bit what are the biggest challenges when you do those type of workshops and consultancy and what you've learned from those? I would say, I mean, the problem is that many people are just better off complaining <laughs> than actually trying to change this. So the first thing that has been complicated uh, was to find professionals willing to do that. For now, we've only be able to, been able to make this pilot with voluntary judges, public prosecutors from different jurisdictions. In, in Spain, we also have this specificity of uh, regional uh, courts, which are different. Apart from different languages, it's also different systems. So uh, the system, the, legal, the judicial uh, system do not talk to each other. So for example, something filed in one region will not appear in the other region. So uh, for example, in this case, communication, basically communication is being a problem. And- uh, um, Communication and, uh, with the people who navigate the justice system or internally, you mean? Internally, communication between uh, legal professionals. Mm. inside the court system inside the court system or the different court systems of the different regions mm -hmm. so you realize as you do this work using design thinking you realize that first it's not necessarily easy to find the people who actually will say yes i want to give it a try and second you think there's a problem in this space and then you realize it's something else so in this case, maybe the original plan was to like digitalize the systems. Yeah. And now you realize that the real problem is a communication problem and that it's probably better to focus on that because you can have, I would imagine a bigger impact than if you start doing tech for all of those individualized and regional system, it sounds like a nightmare. So. Yeah, yeah, at the end of the day, it's uh, in this case, it's really an interoperability problem that needs to be solved. But then I would say it's, it's usually the case. Uh, that's why I like using design thinking so much in this. Um, I, I used to be more in the tech and legal tech space. But then I realized that many firms and many clients I had 
were coming to me to say, okay, we want to uh, make our uh, full digital transformation, but they had to transform before digitizing, not at the same time. The prior work of detecting your inefficiencies and your pain points and, uh, and your lack of creativity regarding uh, solution finding, uh, this is really um, the most important step, I would say. I would not accept now a client just willing to, uh, to adopt some kind of, of technology without doing this prior work. For sure. Because, yeah, you, you go just straight to failure. And so let's talk about your journey as an entrepreneur. You've been an entrepreneur in this space for quite some time now. How, how many years you've been involved in this space? Well, I've been working for the last uh, uh, 20 years around the justice. I started, uh, as you said, as a court interpreter. Uh, but as a, as a freelancer, I would say it's been, uh, yes, uh, some years already, which allows me to, uh, to work with very different institutions and, uh, and to work freely and to feed from what I learned from one client and another client. So mm. I, this is, for me, it was really, well, I would say the only way because before and, and even now, uh, being in the legal tech and legal design industry, it's not something we see some, uh, some positions uh, starting now. Some firms, some uh, companies are starting to, uh, to look for people like us. But uh, some years ago, it was just uh, being an entrepreneur was the only way, I would say. We and what led, what led you to, to make this shift? It's so interesting because there were no jobs positions like this. It was not like you saw a job offer, legal tech <laughs> consultant. Yes, I'm going to apply. No, it, such a thing did not exist. So you were a court interpreter. And how did you make that shift? How did you even get to realize this was possible? Uh, well, it was little by little from being a court interpreter, then I became, uh, I was translating for a law firm. Uh, at the time, it was like uh, 15 years ago, a bit more, where um, there was no uh, legal marketing or legal communication offices in the firms. So uh, once um, the project was over, they told me, okay, why are you not training in marketing and why don't you uh, do that for us? So I said, hey, why not? I was a bit uh, uh, bored with what I was uh, doing, translating. I was a bit fed up of translating legal, legal texts, as you can imagine. And uh, so I decided to uh, to go with uh, legal marketing. So I've been doing this for, for firm, then for uh, international alliance, and um, and uh, from there in parallel, I discovered. I must say, uh, uh, thanks to uh, the movement Legal Hackers, I discovered them years ago, and I founded the Legal Hackers chapter here in Madrid. It was like five six years ago. And, uh, and uh, I was still with the firm and I was like the, the only non-legal professional, how they used to call us. I was the only non-lawyer. So all kind of non-lawyering things were on me. So apart from marketing, then we started having the tech part, the need of legal tech. So I started to go and look around what legal tech solutions there were. And that's why I decided, okay, legal tech is really the future. 
and I decided to just uh, um, make jump and go in this in this field. And then, as I said, I was uh, from Legal Tech, which I am still involved in. I'm I'm a director in the Masters in Legal Tech actually here in Madrid. But then this is when I realized, okay, uh, tech is just not the the end of it. It's a means, and uh, we need some methods. We need some methods to really be able to efficiently apply the tech on it. And which is when I discovered the design thinking. And I discovered, I just uh, self-trained. I participated actually to this during the pandemic. One of the happy times of the pandemic were this legal creative cohort. I, I, I was lucky enough to belong to with you, Tessa, and a lot of international, very interesting folks. And, uh, and then I really knew I just, um, I wanted to focus even more in this design thinking uh, aspect just before the tech. That's, That's so impressive. Me. So you really got to see an opportunity or the opportunity found you with this Lego marketing gig. And then this is where you are. You got two prizes last year for Lego tech, expanding your reach with Lego design and design thinking. And so let me ask you, is there one thing that you wish you had known when you started? One thing you wish you had known when you started, when you started your career? What could this thing be? I guess that I had to believe in me. <laughs> For sure. What do you mean by that? The entrepreneurial journey is not the easy path. So what do you think? And also, and this is also something I mean, I'm on a mission to put into every attorney's mind is that we all are creative beings and we just don't trust our creativity. And uh, I wish I had started before trusting mine. And I really hope now that I do. Uh, that I can also contribute to this shift of mind in the, in, in, in the legal professionals. Many of them are really just self-limiting themselves. And uh, they're like too afraid of, of opening this kind of Pandora box, which is a creativity that you just can't close anymore once it's, it's open. And I think this is really something that we, the legal industry needs that everyone being more creative. I think that would be it, creativity. Well, wow, that's, of course, I'm in love with everything that you say. It's music to my ears. So <laughs> it's interesting because when you said, wow, I really wished I believed more in myself. And I immediately thought, well, entrepreneurship is hard. When in fact, what you're saying is that you had all the answers within you. You had those great ideas and all you needed is to trust them more so you could take more action upon those ideas and, and just flow and go for it, right? <laughs> yes, I guess so. I might have done it earlier on if, if I had believed more in myself. And, uh, and um, yes, I th many, many times I hear from lawyers, oh, creativity is for for artists or for whatever, it's not for us. We're in law, and uh, and 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 it's a shame. I think precisely because you're in law, you must be creative. It is really needed now, 
And uh, the only good positive aspect of all this terrible year we've been through, all of us, um, I think it's that. It's uh, before it looked like creativity was a plus. And I think that now after all this year and all this change of paradigm and all this change of society, uh, people, even legal professionals have understood that now is a time for that. Now it's time for creativity and for doing things differently because everything has changed. And so let me ask you, what advice would you give to someone who wants to get started harnessing their own creativity or pursuing a career similar to yours? What would be one advice you would give them? I would say at the beginning, force yourself to do things differently. Small things, very small day-to-day -day things. And you will see that obviously doing things differently, you have different results. And once you have the first result, unexpected and positive result, then you will, you will understand and you will repeat doing things differently. And then you get like hanged on that. And then you just end up always looking for how to do things differently. And this is when you have this spark of creativity and, uh, and it makes you feel like everything is possible. That's really amazing. So I'm loving this interview <laughs> and I'm sure the audience is loving it too. So if the audience wants to connect with you online, where can, what is the best way for them to reach you, Nora? Well, I would say uh, LinkedIn is the easiest one. Uh, LinkedIn or Twitter. I, I must say I'm now on Clubhouse, but I haven't really been around. I know there, there is a world of possibilities there, but I haven't really explored it. So yes, I would stick to LinkedIn and Twitter. So make sure to follow Laura Forker on LinkedIn, Twitter, and possibly on Clubhouse. Thank <laughs> you so much, Laura. I've really enjoyed this interview. I've loved your stories, your insights, your energy. And I can't wait to see you continue to believe in yourself and to continue to do things differently and <laughs> to create most groundbreaking models, systems and services for the courts, for the law firms, legal departments and yourself as an entrepreneur. So thank you once again, Laura, for being here. Bye-bye. <laughs> If you would like to start your own journey and immerse yourself into the future of law today, you are always welcome on the LEGO Creatives platform. We are running our online academy all year long with knowledge in legal design and practice for you to operate this mindset shift. You will get to meet an incredible community of legal professionals that are learning online on the platform and have more experience, more practice and a much better understanding of the legal design methodology so you can innovate. And if you're up for an immersive and intensive learning experience, I highly recommend you join us for the next expert certification program in May to get to learn and to practice the legal design methodology 
with professionals from all around the world. If you feel this episode could be useful to a friend or a colleague, make sure to share this podcast episode with them right now. Visit LegalCreatives.com to start engaging with our global community of learners from all around the world, whether it's in the academy or the expert program that is coming up in May.